0: If you have a Bible, turn in your Bible to um, John chapter 4. And before we uh, get into the Word, I'd like to have a, uh, a word of prayer. If you could bow your heads. God in heaven, we pray that this evening, as we look at some of these words and share some experiences, that the Holy Spirit will be here to speak your thoughts and to impress how witnessing should be a part of our everyday life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 4. We're not going to, going to do a Bible study, so to speak, on John chapter 4. I want to share some experiences with you. But I want to look at some verses in John chapter 4. Basically, it's the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. Everybody pretty much knows that story, right? Right? It's a very common story. We hear all kinds of uh, sermons and books written about it. It's a fabulous story. It's about the thirsty world seeking something that only God can give. But in uh, John chapter 4, verse 3, I'm going to read a couple verses. And talking about Jesus, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So we have Jesus and his disciples. on a mission, they're moving from Judea to Galilee, going through Samaria. And as you know, Jesus, as he comes to the well, he's thirsty, he's hungry. The disciples go away to get some food, and he's sitting there by himself or uh, with, a, with a lady from the city, actually, the Samaritan woman, and she's drawing water, and she gets in, he gets into a conversation with her. And ends up telling her in verse 13, "'Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, "'but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him "'will never thirst. "'But the water that I shall give him "'will, be, will become in him a fountain of water "'springing up into everlasting life.'" Incredible. Two verses of incredible information for this woman saying, "'Hey, you don't have to come to this well.'" to try to find something to satisfy your thirst. And he's speaking on a spiritual level about the thirst of her soul and offering to her the water of life. And as the conversation unfolds, Jesus reveals that he knows about her life. And she's impressed by that, is um, informed that he is actually the Messiah, goes back to the city, and we have the disciples coming back onto the scene. And as the disciples come back onto the scene, they've collected some food for Jesus and themselves. They're on a mission, right? The disciples are on a mission. They're with Jesus, their master and their teacher. They're moving from Judea to Galilee. They're on a mission. They have have work to do, work for the Lord to do. And Jesus is sitting there when they come back, and he's not that interested in the food. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, this is the key verse that I find in my life as applicable to my daily existence as a person and a physician and as a Christian, do you not say there are still four months and then come the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Now think about this. Jesus is sitting at the well. He's looking at a field and he's saying to the disciples, you guys say that this field is not ready for harvest for four months yet, right? Right? But he says, lift up your eyes. In other words, open your eyes. Now in scripture, what does it mean when scripture tells you to open your eyes? That's a spiritual thought, right? That's a spiritual thought. Have the Holy Spirit remove the scales. Open your spiritual eyesight to see what's really happening behind the physical scene, the spiritual scene. And so he says, open your eyes. And look at the fields. Look at them in a different way than you've ever looked at them before. For they are already white for harvest. Now I'm sure the disciples are saying, what? You know, as they usually would say initially in a conversation with Jesus. But after a while, things may soak in. What Jesus is saying is that there is a harvest that can be seen around you at any time if you look through spiritual eyes. If you look through spiritual eyes. Now, the disciples were on a mission. And if they would have kept on their mission without Jesus interrupting the mission for ministry, a whole town would have not heard the good news at that moment, okay? So I want to talk to you tonight about being a physician or a dentist, a resident, whatever wherever you find yourself, that don't only look at your mission in life or the mission that you're on, but be willing to open your eyes and know that there is a harvest around you. There's a harvest around you. Jesus said there is, right? You may not see it if you look with physical eyes. If you look with physical eyes, you may not see it. You have to through the Spirit, see this harvest that's white, ready to be reaped. It's around you, trust me. Okay, I'm just gonna going to leave that there. We're going to come back to these thoughts and John, and I'm going to tell you some of my experience and how this has changed my life. First of all, it's interesting to, 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 um, to look at what it means to be a witness for Christ. To be a witness for Christ. We can... Um, and in the comments of why God allows us to get into this process are really interesting. In, in and uh, probably volumes of books could be written about why that, is, why that is true. But I think it's true for the reason that I heard, I think Mark Fenley say uh, many years ago, when we reach outside of ourselves to harvest or to participate in the harvest of souls, the soul we're saving is our own. Okay, The soul we're saving is our own. Very important concept. This is a ministry that God allows us to enter into as the work of our own salvation, working out our own salvation. Incredibly important, incredibly uh, significant in everything we do. Okay, so as I looked at this verse and, and began, began to... Um, unfold these thoughts in my mind, I realize there's some incredible implications here. First of all, what may appear to me to be an unharvestable field or nothing right may not be that way. If I open my eyes to the Spirit, I may see a harvest or may participate in a harvest that I didn't expect, that was unusual or, or just just didn't didn't you know, come to me at first, that 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 was going to be the case. Secondly, in in this concept, is that Jesus, when he went to this well, it wasn't an accident. Everything Jesus did in the Bible, he was led by the Spirit. Okay? In other words, the Spirit had prepared the ground the seed had been planted, the Spirit had been watering and feeding the soul, preparing for this event, okay? So Jesus was just walking into and participating in an event that the Spirit had already set up, okay? Very important point also. Thirdly, it is not our ability, we cannot convict anybody of anything, all right? All right? Let me say that again. We cannot convict anybody of anything. It is only the Holy Spirit through the heart that's open to him that can receive conviction. Very important point also. So the harvest is white. That's what Jesus says. You take him at his word, right? Lift up your eyes if you're in the hospital. Lift up your eyes. If you're in the classroom, lift up your eyes. If you're in your, in your neighborhood, lift up your eyes. If you're in the supermarket, lift up your eyes. It may not seem like anything is there, but there is. God has promised that there is a harvest that is ripe. Okay. Also, just as a little aside, um, you do not have to... I mean, I totally respect... I have a son-in-law that is involved, is actually the... Um, the originator of uh, frontline builders and builds um, churches and schools in Mongolia and Sudan and, and my wife was raised in Africa as a missionary but I want to tell you something tonight is that the Bible tells me that if I'm a Christian my citizenship is not on earth. Is that true? My citizenship is in heaven. If I'm a Christian, right? I'm a stranger and a Pilgrim here, right? So anywhere you are on the planet, even here in Palm Springs, you're a foreign missionary. It's true. You're a foreign missionary. So the foreign missionary field is right, Jesus says, right? Whether it's in Sudan, in Mongolia, in Loma Linda, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the mission is there. Now, I'm going to just share you some experiences that I've had uh, through the years. Uh, which have amazed me. When When you look at this verse and you say, wherever you are, you hear this voice say, lift up your eyes, then the possibilities are huge. The possibilities are huge. Who knows? The person standing next to you in line at the grocery store. Who knows, right? The Spirit has prepared the harvest, and He's allowing you for your own salvation to enter into it, it's it's incredible. Okay, so when I s- in, finished my residency in Wichita, Kansas, I decided to go back to Ch- uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I actually, practice in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is a small suburb community um, of Chattanooga. And my wife is from Chattanooga. Uh, her family lives there. You know, great idea. Let's go back home for her. Uh, I'm from the southeast. My folks and family live close in Florida. Well, you know, really great setup. I'm going back, and um, I get a great job in a nice little hospital. There are five radiologists there. You know, everything's looking great, and and I'm you know I'm I'm starting up a practice, and I come to work the first day. The very first day, and. I walk into, the, I walk into the, um, to the office where the radiologists are, and I've met them all before in interviews, et cetera, but I'm ready to work that day. And, um, and one of the gentlemen there, um, his name, I'll just use first names, Dr. Chip, and you know I had not met him because he was hired at the same time I was. We were both at a residency, and we were both coming into the practice at the same time. I had met, you know, met all the other guys. So the, the very first thing I meet I meet this guy, and I'm I'm actually thinking in my mind, um, lift up your eyes, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna be sitting next to these five guys, like more than you want to sit next to somebody, you know, <laughs> sitting right next to cubicles reading X-rays, you know. Uh, th- we're gonna have a relationship, you know. What's, what is what is here, you know? Why am I in this hospital? I interviewed and got, you know, got accepted to groups in Chattanooga and Cleveland and, and Maryville and just several groups. And I just chose that one, you know. Why am I here? Why is a Christian anywhere? What's the primary purpose of a Christian being anywhere? It's witnessing for Christ. There's nothing else. Zero. That's why you're there. That's um, that's why I'm here. Lift up your eyes. One of these five guys, or all of these five guys, are the harvest in my mind, right? And so that's the way I approach the practice. That's the way I approach the practice. Now, I don't just spill my guts and tell them everything I know right there. You know, you you just, you, you enter into this spiritual realm where the Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit tells you when and what to say. Don't, go ahead of the, don't rush ahead of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guide and will impress you of when and what to say. But because I need to move on for some more current stories, this was several years ago, um, I entered into conversations with Dr. Chip, and soon we were having spiritual discussions. Soon those spiritual discussions led to an interest in studying prophecy. And after a year and a half of a one and a half hour Bible study, every week in that doctor's home, he was baptized as Seventh day Adventist. Just incredible blessing, incredible blessing to be involved with the harvest. That's God's work, right? The harvest. That is, like this verse says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That should be all of our food. So I'm thinking, okay, Dr. Chip is a Seventh-day Adventist. Now I have a partner. (laughs) Now we have two here, right? And so I continue on with lifting up my eyes where is the, you know, where's the next person going to come from? There's going to be another person. There's going to be another person. So I'm thinking, I don't know. I can't see, but I know God knows. I know the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit knows. So what I do is I, and I hate to say this just like this, but I set little traps around. So in my office, in my office behind me where all my books are, I have a shelf and I have little, you know, books like, Answers to Difficult Bible Questions. I have it sitting up there. Um, the Almost Forgotten Day by Mark Finley. You know, I just have these planted around the office, you know. And, um, and so one day, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my own mind, okay, what partner's going to go next, you know? What partner's going to <laughs> enter into, let once start these Bible studies, you know? And, and just one day, you know, just right out of the blue, one of the file techs walks into my office, and, you know, and I think that as a physician, our spirituality and for people to talk to us about spiritual things should be right up front. There should be no barriers. None. People should be able to walk into you and ask you anything and feel comfortable to get into a spiritual conversation. So this file tech walks up, and he says hey, I hope you don't mind, but, you know, I was working last night, and you weren't in your office, and I got this little book off your shelf there. And they know that they can pick them up, and if they want them, they can have them. You know, I made that clear. And I was, and I was arguing about a text with one of my other colleagues in, in the file room, Dr. Miller, and, hey, can you help me? Look at this. I don't, I don't see where this is. And he starts a spiritual conversation. A year later, he's baptized the Seventh-day Adventist Christian. <laughs> The harvest is all... I didn't expect it. I did not expect this guy. This guy is, uh, you know, take too long to explain his background. But he's not what you would expect to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But once Christ came into his heart and he became a new baby and he started all over again, that's a different story, right? The, ba- the, the past is past. And, and so I didn't see it with my eyes. I knew they were out there. I knew it would happen. And there he is, okay? So, who's next? So, he, he gets into, after he's baptized a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and he gets into conversations with his file tech colleagues. And you know the domino effect? I love the domino effect in, in, uh, in witnessing. Anyway, the domino effect starts its work. He starts witnessing about some issues... Uh, that he's discovered in the Bible. And um, Russ was the other guy's name. Bill was the first guy. Russ was the other, other guy's name. And before long, we had in my office, after work, a Bible study, with about five or six texts and file texts and people in that office. Just out of that one, you know, the domino effect had started, right? Right. And then pretty soon, I did an evangelistic series at a church that we started there in in Benton, Tennessee, with my father-in-law, John Sines. And Russ and his whole family come to that and accept the Sabbath. And just incredible, just incredible. The harvest is out there. I would not have known any of those or expected any of those people to be a part of God's harvest. But the Holy Spirit knew he prepared the soil. I was willing to look, to be open to enter in with him in his ministry. What a blessing, what a blessing. Um, interesting, a partner that I have now, one of my other partners, right? Um, Dr. LeBron. LeBron's an interesting guy, I tell you. Um, he is so political, you know, and so... so um, um, I'll just leave it at that. He's, <laughs> He's a really really good guy. But anyway, we, we had gotten into some spiritual conversations, and, uh, which I have had with all my partners, but LeBron's special interest. You know, you can, you can kind of sense that, you know. And we had a hard time um, last year at our practice. Our hospital was bought by a for-profit organization, um, they asked us, as a radiology group, to do things that we couldn't do from a professional or moral basis, and I was really happy that our whole group chose to do the right thing. And so we said, if we if we have to do these things this way, we're going to leave the hospital. And they and you know they they begged us to stay. That the last day, we said, no, we cannot participate in that. And um, my whole group is Christian, but, you know, not all of them are Seventh-day Adventists, but um, we just could not participate in it. And so we made a decision, a moral decision, before any of us had another job. Now, that's tough. You know, when you have families, I have five children, two in college, you know, that's, that's kind of tough to make those decisions. But, and, and for me, it wasn't, I mean, it was just a cut deal, you know. It was not not that it wasn't tough on me. <laughs> Trials are tough, but um, but for LeBron, this was a knee bending experience. You know, he he is the you know just very political and didn't want to disrupt his career. He was born, raised five generations from Cleveland, Tennessee. This was the hospital that um, you know. His father was the hospital administrator, um, you know, I mean, hospital board uh, chairman. And um, this was his hospital, you know, and it had been sold by the community to this for-profit. And this was a knee-bending experience. Now, in in the previous year or so, we had been talking about spiritual issues, LeBron and I. And he he's raised a Church of God Christian but had never participated in paying tithe, receiving the blessing from paying tithe. So through conversations, we had talked about that and and we had talked about the Sabbath and different issues that he was interested in and in his time frame. But um, right at that time when we went through this trial, and I'm asking, Lord, why are we going through this right now? Just like you ask, right? Why are we going through this right now? Well, God has a way To work things out. But anyway, LeBron, at this time, believe it or not, decided to start paying tithe. All right? In the midst of not having a job, I mean, we were quitting on one day and we didn't have a job, all five of us the next day. Okay? Okay, within a week of him telling me that he was going to start paying tithe, um, we get a phone call from a hospital that's 30 minutes from our hospital. And asking us, they were losing their radiologists and needed a radiology group, right? Just like that whole event, just to be a hospital losing their group and needing another group, and and so we said, hey, we'll talk to you about that. So we go over there, we talk to them, and we get this job. And then a, a medical uh, multi-specialty group calls us up and say, hey. We're buying our own CT scanner and ultrasound and setting up an imaging department. We want you to be our radiologist. And then another hospital calls us and says, hey, we need another radiology group to help us up here. So so before long, when we left the hospital in Cleveland, we and also we got our own PET CT scanner, our own imaging center, and so we are now making twice as much money as we made at the other hospital, with twice as much time off. Did you get that? (laughs) Twice as much time off. And we're getting calls every day. And so I tell LeBron, I say, hey, you may want to cut back on the tithe paying. We're not going to be able to keep up with this. (laughs) Just kidding, no. Now, what what a witness. You know, LeBron, to this day, this was was just last year, LeBron, to this day, is considering, now this is a huge step for him, what the Sabbath means. And okay, he goes to the largest Church of God church in the world, which the international headquarters of the Church of God is in Cleveland, Tennessee. Lee University is like Andrews University for them, is in Cleveland, Tennessee. He goes to Sunday school with all the religious professors at Lee University. Okay? Now, I don't know where all this is going to go. We'll have to have a follow-up meeting to figure this out. But I'm excited about it. There's a harvest out there, and this domino effect is going to be incredible. What a privilege to be a part of something like that. But in another aspect of that, about two years ago, uh, I'm talking to LeBron, and we're talking about Daniel and Revelation issues. And I had been, te- you know, I learned a lot of Daniel and Revelation from Phil and his father and, and how to teach it and, and had been participating in, in seminars and, and things like that. And, and, he, and LeBron tells me, man, you ought to write a book about some of these things, you know. So I said, man, I'm not an author, you know. And so, but some other people had mentioned it, so I said, well, maybe I should, you know, just jot down some notes and, you know, see if I could get it published. And I thought maybe the Review and Herald would publish it. And, um... And so I spent, you know, six months writing down some notes and, and making a rough draft and, and, and was going to send it into to the Review and Herald. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was like the Holy Spirit told me, you know, you have a publishing center right here in Cleveland, Tennessee. It's called Pathway Press. It's the Review and Herald equivalent for the Church of God, as the Review and Herald is to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, okay? This is a worldwide printing press. Printing, um, it's more than a press, you know, it's a whole printing organization for the Church of God. So, you know, I, re- I remember the first day I drove up, I got, the, I got an appointment with the editor, I remember the first day driving into the, up in front of this huge building with my manuscript, and I said, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> is this real? If, if, you know, this is, you know, our uh, Seventh-day Adventist understanding of Daniel and Revelation is not the Church of God's understanding of the Revelation, okay? And so I walk in there, and I've got my notes, and, and I, I remember, I mean, I was, I was you know, shaken like this, you know. <laughs> And w- would you like to look at this? You know, and the editor, I said, I told her, you know, what I had done. And, and she says, yeah, we'll look at it. And um, so she calls me up like two weeks later. And I'm thinking all the time, they're going to say, no, we're not publishing this at, the <laughs> at Pathway Press. But uh, she calls me up like two weeks later and she says, hey, Dr. Miller, I read through that. Now, get this. Now, I didn't know anything about the harvest, but I knew that I should lift up my eyes and, and expect the unexpected. Right from John 4. Expect the unexpected. Um, and she says, Hey, my father's a church of God pastor. We had Bible studies on Revelation in our house every week, and what you've written in your book is exactly what the conclusions we came to. Yes, we'll print your book. <laughs> Incredible. I'm saying, what do <laughs> you know? <laughs> Incredible. And so so they printed my book, they sell it in their bookstore on the campus. They promote it for me on Amazon, on their website for the Church of God. You can go there. You can see the book. And it's Understanding Revelation in One Day. And it is Adventist mainstream understanding of Daniel and Revelation. (laughs) Incredible. Open up your eyes. Look around you. Who knows? You know, it's exciting. (laughs) So anyway, um, we got the book printed. I... I, I just want to put a little side plug in here. You know, um, if you, you know, if you have something that you've thought about doing and God's leading you to do it, don't pull back. You know, there was many times I said, man, I, this is too much work or I've got other things to do or I don't know if I should do this or not or, you know, especially when I walked up to the doors of Pathway Press, you know. That, that was, uh, I just really felt like... But I remember the text, lift up your eyes, you know, expect the unexpected. God had led me there, continue through. Look at what happened. It's incredible. Very exciting. As a part of that, as a part of that publishing of that book, um, LeBron, remember LeBron, my partner, he takes the book and hands it out in his Sunday school to all these professors at, at Lee University. So I don't know where that's all going to go, but I'm excited to find out. We also started a ministry um, as a side shoot of this. We, we had finished uh, a five-year stint in developing a new church in Benton, Tennessee. We had committed five years to developing that church and, and establishing it in a dark county, so to speak. Um, And we're ready to do something else, and we were praying about it, what should we do. And um, my wife and I and my family wanted to do a personal ministry together, so we said, hey, let's start a ministry in an area that's within an hour drive that doesn't have an Adventist church in it, and start, start this process again. So we go driving around, we call the conference, you know, where is an area? We get some areas, we go there. And this one little area, it's, it's McKaysville and Copper Hill, Copper Hill, Tennessee, McKaysville, Georgia, right on the line. It's a little tourist town. And we go there, and and, and, the, and the church told us that there are no Seventh-day Adventist churches in like a 30 or 40-mile radius of that, okay? And there's a lot of people who live in the area. I mean, it's not densely populated, but it's a fairly Significantly populated area, so I do some research, and within a twenty-five, 25 mile radius, there's like 220 congregations of other denominations, very Bible-oriented, Bible belt communities, right? And so we say, hey, you know, let's think about this. So we go there one weekend, and we're, we're milling around town, and, and there's not that many people in town. You know, there's a lot of little tourist places, and and we like we like turn the corner. And then we we walk down the street, and we're walking back back the other way down the street, and all of a sudden, there's like a flood of people coming toward us. I mean, you know, 75, 100, 150 people walking down the street. I don't know how many there were, but it was a distinct change in the environment in that community, in that little town. And we're saying, what is this? You know, we didn't have any idea. God had led us there, didn't have any idea what was going on. And so we started inquiring, and everybody walking around had these little yellow tags on, which were interesting. And so we find out that this is the drop-off location, drop-off location for a tourist train, the Blue Ridge Mountain Railway. All right, so every day at this certain time, this train pulls up into town, and what's relative ghost town, you know, I mean, it's just a normal little town, becomes packed with people. And they're milling around. They have two hours with absolutely nothing to do besides go through these little shops and things. And my wife and I say, hey, let's give them something to do. So we ended up renting in a, in a, in a mall there a section of the building that has big glass windows on the street and then a large glass section on the interior of the mall. We ended up... Um, renting that. When we looked around town. There, were no, there was no visitor center. Okay, we're going to be this city's visitor center. <laughs> so we, we go to, I mean, we just doing this. We had no experience doing this. We said, okay, let's go make a sign that says Christian Resources Visitor Center. Welcome, you know. So we make this sign. We put it up. And then we just get ideas, you know. We start getting ideas and ideas and ideas. And um, pretty soon, we've got these displays. We have this Visitor Center, everything in there is free, there's videos, there's books, there's videos playing, there's literature, there's uh, all kinds of displays that are are about current events that trigger someone to think and want to ask a question. That's our goal, trigger someone to think and want to ask a question. And so now we have people that will come in there, receive the literature, Uh, we have all kinds of contacts through that, but I'm going to tell you about two specific ones Uh, We've been doing that for three years, and people actually ride that train. It goes from Atlanta, Georgia, up to that area, from all over the world. I mean, it's incredible. You're sitting in this little town. All of a sudden, you see all these people coming towards you. You set up this ministry. Then you have people walking into your ministry, taking your books and literatures, and getting into conversations that are from Norway, you know, from England, from Australia. They're visiting the United States. They took this train ride. They're taking them back home, you know. All of a sudden, this little town becomes a distribution center for the world. Who can figure that? <laughs> right? God knew that. He's the one that said, lift up your eyes. Incredible. So two experiences. One, we, start, we do a little health fair there, where we take blood pressure, we do a cholesterol, um, you know, we talk about lifestyle issues. My daughters are nurses, they you know, do some counseling. We do, we do this little health fair. And this guy, I mean, I'm sitting in there, and this guy comes running in, and, it's, and, and he says, um, I don't know if I should mention his name or not, but we'll just say Mr. G, okay? He comes, he comes running into the thing and says, man, I'm so glad I found you here. I have been, I forgot to tell you one thing, even when we're not there, we have display racks on the outside of those glass windows that people can come by, they can see every display generates a question, they can pick up a brochure about it or a book about the topic, okay? Just for example, let me just give you one example so you can understand the story about Mr. G. We have a painting by Nathan Green in one of our displays. We have like eight displays, but one of our displays, we have the nicest Nathan Green, you know, the Gleasy, the big, you know, expensive painting by Nathan Green of the first Sabbath in Eden, I don't know if you've seen that. It's a beautiful picture, incredibly. We've got the lighting perfect on it, just like they recommend. I mean, Jesus' face glows in that painting. No one can walk by that window and not stop and look at that. It is an impossibility. I don't think it can happen. Okay, it's just beautiful. And then we have underneath it, and we had all these signs professionally made. We have the first Sabbath in Eden by Nathan Green. Okay, this is the first thing, the first Sabbath in Eden, Sabbath. You know, creation picture. Then under that, we have a professional sign that says, "Before uh, thousands of years before there was a Jewish nation or a Christian church, God gave mankind a very, very special gift, the Sabbath. Now behind it, in places that are less obvious, we have the complete fourth commandment on professional signs on the wall. And then we have uh, Genesis chapter 2 where it says God rested after his creation work generating questions right generating questions here these people are christian but they're keeping the sabbath they're not jewish they can't be jews they're recognizing christ so as a part of that we have mark finley's book the almost forgotten day that you can pick up it's on the outside of the glass you can look at this and pick it up on the outside of the glass or if we're there it's on the inside of the glass you have to come in and get it okay so, so um, so this Mr. G comes walking in and he says, Listen, you know, I've been coming through by here, and, and I hadn't caught you here. We're, we're not there every day. We're just there on the weekend. <clears throat> but I've been coming by here, I've gotten some of this literature. This is the greatest stuff I've ever read. Now, he had read um, you know, The Almost Forgotten Day. Um, I think he Steps to Christ. We have steps to Christ out there. Um a couple of other books we have available out uh, on the other side of the glass. He had read these. I, he said, I want to get some more of these books. Um, I've been taking more than my share when I come by here, and I've been handing them out to people I know in town. And so, so we get into this conversation, and he says, how many books can you get me? I want to hand these out. Okay? <laughs> and so I said, how many do you need? And he says, well, you know, can I get a box of these? And so we meet him the next weekend, And and he says, I'm really interested in this. And actually, I had a set of tapes by uh, Doug Batchelor from one of his NET series. And I give him the tapes. I just say, hey, these are yours. You know, you're doing this work for us. Look at these tapes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't salaried or anything, you know. I I just met the guy one time. But I'm just impressed to do this, you know. So I give him the tapes. And so... And then he calls us up. I give him my telephone number. And he calls us up and say, hey, can I get this stuff in Spanish? You know, I have some people that I know that speak Spanish better than English. And can, can, we, can we get some of this in Spanish? So we go to the ABC and we buy, oh, I don't know how many books, boxes of Spanish, Steps to Christ, and different books, Great Controversy. And we deliver them up to, and I, I just heard the guy's name, right? So when we take him the next time, Um, I say, "Uh, you live here, right? He said, yeah, I live here. And he says, let me give you my card. You know, he gives me the card. Now listen to this. This is amazing. His card on it says, has his name. He's the associate pastor for the largest Baptist church in McKaysville, Tennessee. (laughs) The associate pastor for the largest Baptist church in McKaysville, Tennessee is distributing our literature. Excitingly, you know, enthusiastically, without salary. Exciting. Incredible. (laughs) Open up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. People are all around you. This everywhere is a foreign mission field, right? We're all strangers to this planet. We're citizens of heaven. Everywhere, God is speaking to people's hearts. Open up your eyes. Two more things. I do not have a watch, and I don't see a clock. What time is it? <laughs> okay, just two more thoughts here real quick. Um, I was, a year ago, I was coming out to Loma Linda to see my first grandchild born. <clears throat> and you're talking about being on a mission, Okay. I got on that plane, and I didn't look to my right, to my left. I was looking, hey, I want to see that grandbaby, and that's all I cared about, right? And I was bringing my daughters and my my two sons out with me. My wife was already out here, and I was trying to work it out. You know, my daughter was in labor, and I was trying to get there as soon as possible. I actually missed the delivery, but I was there within like three or four hours of it, but... Um, so, so I'm in Chattanooga, I'm, I'm changing my schedule around, having LeBron cover for me, which he was happy to do. Um, and I'm thinking right at the last minute, and I'm talking about right at the last minute, I am walking out the door. I'm walking out the door, and I'm just stopped in my tracks, and, and there's a cabinet there, and I have some of my books just sitting on there. And I, and, I, and I have my satchel. Now, I'm thinking of grandbaby, 99.9%. I'm thinking, I have to confess, you know. I'm not thinking about John chapter 4 at that moment, you know. But the Holy Spirit stopped me for a second. And just with the sweep of my arm, I grabbed two of those books and put it in my case. I barely remember it. I just barely remember it. I just put them in there. And I'm going out the door. And my kids are with me. We drive down to Atlanta. I've got these tickets last minute, and they were expensive. <laughs> and worst of all, now I'm 6'3", 250 pounds, I'm a big guy, right? I got a middle seat. <laughs> now that's like, I mean, I was going to go in middle seat to see my grand grandchild, you know? And so when I get to the airport, but I... I I, when I get to the airport, you know how when you check in, they say, do you want to change your seat? Of course, I said yes. And usually, you push that, and it was, sorry, there's no other seats, you know. But there was this one seat, one seat that was, an, everybody, all my other family members were sitting in middle seats, right? There was one aisle seat. And I told my kids, I love you, but I'm taking that aisle seat. <laughs> I got the aisle seat. aisle seat, one aisle seat, one aisle seat on a big jet. I'm going to see my grandbaby, 99%. My mind's on the grandbaby, right? Maybe 99.9, I don't know. So I sit down on the airplane, and I sit next to a a middle-aged lady, and I I have to confess, I'm not thinking evangelism. I'm thinking that baby, you know? Getting out there to see the baby. Getting out here to see the baby. And um, so on this particular jet... I'll make this quick. On this particular jet, there's these little videos in each seat in front of you, you know, that has the, you know, when they do the uh, introduction of how to be safe on the aircraft, how to buckle your seatbelt and all that, it's on these little videos. And so I'm sitting there next to this lady, and they're playing the video of how to buckle your seatbelt. Now, I'm looking around, and everybody's getting the video of how to buckle your seatbelt, but hers and my video is just playing the Delta logo. It's not telling us how to buckle our seatbelt. <laughs> now that didn't concern me too much, you know, but, but I'm wondering, I'm saying, that's weird, you know, this is a three seat, the lady over here, the furthest lady, she's getting the seatbelt lecture, the lady next to me and I are not getting the seatbelt lecture. I almost say something to the stewardess. Almost, she's walking by me. And I almost pointed out, but I said, "Ah, forget it." You know, I know about the seat belt. <laughs> One seat on that airplane was an aisle seat, right? I'm sitting in it next to a lady. Our monitors don't work, so we um, we take off on the flight and. Um, maybe 10 minutes into the flight, the lady next to me is getting frustrated with the monitor not working. Now she wants to watch something on this TV, you know. Um, so she calls over the stewardess and says, hey, our TV isn't working. Everyone else's TV is working. And she says, was it, and the stewardess says, was it working when we took off? And I said, no, it wasn't. We didn't see the seatbelt thing. LAUGHTER and she says, man, if you'd have told me that, we would not have been able to take this plane off. It is a law that every one of these has to be working before we can take off. So we're in the air. We haven't seen the seatbelt lecture. And she says, I'm going to have to reset this. And so people had been 10, 15 minutes into their programs. She turns off the entire airplane with a flick of a switch. And everybody's looking around, you know, I'm kind of going down in my seat a little bit. And I am saying, it was her fault. She's the one that reported it. No." But uh, she flicks it off and flicks it back on. Everybody else comes back on. You know, they're grumbling a little bit. They start over their programs or whatever. Ours still, still does not work. And, and the stewardess comes back and says, that's an impossibility. This is on a whole bank. This here. You know, I flicked off the thing. And these have to reset, you know. And I says, well, you come and look at it yourself. It's not working, you know. So she flicks it off again. <laughs> so everybody's Monitors go off, and then she flicks it back on, and uh, ours is still not working. Ours is still not working. And so, um, and, and so finally the lady said, just forget it. Turns out this lady is, she's a, um, she was a Delta um, um, consultant. She was a consultant for Delta. I don't know what capacity, but she was actually an employee, a consultant employee for Delta. I says you're gonna to have to tell somebody about this, you know, and just made a little joke with her, and and she isn't, you know, as as an in- industrious 21st century traveler, she whips out in one smooth move a iPod that has full screen, you know, and is ready to look at a video or something on that, and so I'm sitting there still thinking, grandbaby, 99 percent, and she, now we're coming from Atlanta going to um, Ontario, California. And she turns on her video, and I'm expecting, you know, what do you expect when somebody turns on a video? Some movie or something, right? She turns it on, and it's a sermon. She turns her video on, and it's a sermon by Charles Stanley. He's a prominent pastor in Atlanta. He's on TV some. And... And I'm sitting there, you know. She's putting in her headphone and and um, and earphones, ready to listen to this sermon. And I can see this little, you know. I'm not, I'm not Snoopy. I'm, uh, I'm just noticing this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, right then, right then, there was the text in John four: Lift up your eyes. And I could not. I'm telling you, I, I understood how that donkey talked on that road. You know, he was compelled to do it, you know what I mean? And, you know, I wasn't really excited about it, but as soon as I started to see these events unfold, I started getting more excited, you know what I mean? I said, hey, I'm on this mission, and I'm going to miss ministry. No, I'm not going to miss ministry. And I say, hey, do you know Charles Stanley? And she says, what? You know, she's listening to this. I said, do you know Charles Stanley? She says, yeah, I've met him. And um, I go to his church once in a while, and I said, man, I've heard him on the, on the radio and on TV, and he's a really good pastor. And, and um, she said, yeah, I like him a lot. And she says, you know, um, I just went to his church a few weeks ago, and we were talking about, um, he was talking about the book of Revelation. I remember on the way out of the house, I sweeped up two of my books, right? And I said, um, would you, you know, are you interested in the book of Revelation? She said, yeah, I really am. I'm interested in getting back into spiritual things. And she goes on to tell me that um, she had a vacation time. She had two sisters living in Ontario. She had started this job and this career and had had an upbringing in the church, um, I think Baptist, and had fallen away and hadn't been to church in a while, got back into going to church just recently and was going out to see her sisters, and they were going to encourage her, and they were going to talk about spiritual things. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I wrote a book on Revelation. Would you like to read it? She says, you're kidding. You wrote a book on Revelation? <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I've got it right here. And so, and so I pull it out, and, you know, it's about a four-and-a-half, five-hour flight from Atlanta to, to um, Ontario. And she looks at the books. And she said, this is incredible. I'm going to read this right now. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be one day, not five hours, right? <laughs> so, she, you know, she gets out her highlighter out of her briefcase, and she starts reading. And we have a five-hour interaction on the book of Revelation, And she gets, and this book's only 130 pages, and she gets to like page 85 or 90. She's a good reader, I guess, you know. But um, she puts the book down, and she says, you know what? These monitors not working was not an accident, was it? She said, this day has changed my life. Incredible. Lift up your eyes. You're on a mission don't be so focused on a mission that you can't see ministry sitting next to you. Incredible opportunity all around us. The um, one last thing. I just built a cabin for my folks to live in. They're by our house. They're retired. They're going to come up and spend some time. And, and this just happened. This is, this is hot off the press, okay? Uh, I had to put this in here. Just a five minutes. I just build a cabin, and I'm doing this cabin work. And I tell these guys, "Okay, none of you guys can work on the Sabbath." And they said, "What's the Sabbath?" You know. And we get into we get into a little conversation there, and they say, "Fine." And um, and the the contract or the lead carpenter, the head carpenter, has a brother that gets out of work. He comes to the job, and to make a long story short, as we have as we're building this cabin. Having these conversations, getting into spiritual things, turns out one day, just—I mean, this is—I'm not—I mean, these guys—you're not expecting these guys to be that interested in spiritual things, right? This brother, his name is Larry. He comes up to me and says, "Do you know Doug Batchelor?" I said, "Well, I don't know him. I've, you know, he's—I know who he is." Uh, he said, "I've been watching his program on TV." For a long time. And and I heard him say something about the Sabbath. And he wanted to know more about it. You know, he knows he's not working on Sabbath on my job. He figures maybe there's some connection here. So we get into a conversation about it. Um, Two months later, two months later, I find out that Larry the carpenter is a minister of an 80-member church, all of which are now keeping the Sabbath. Incredible. Lift up your eyes. I mean, this carpenter nailing on my job, you know. And then my stonemason finds out about it, and he said, I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Where that's going to end, I don't know. Turns out, you know, the stonemason is my neighbor for the cabin. He lives down the street. His wife was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. In, all around that place, everywhere you are, there are people that need to hear ministry, to be ministered to. My appeal tonight, and I could go on and on, and I've probably gone on too long already, but is to lift up your eyes. You know, to enter in with Christ into his ministry where you can say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to enter into your ministry. We pray that we will, through your Spirit, open our eyes to see that the harvest is ripe all around us, that the Spirit is working to prepare souls for heaven. May we make a commitment tonight to be partners with you in this work. In Jesus' name, amen.